the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Find old shows online at 1160hope.com. Ian, happy Tuesday. Thanks, man. We are, we are back together. I was telling you a little earlier, uh, I'm going to run from the studio today and go, uh, go see Hamilton with my wife tonight. Well, that is exciting. This, is, uh, this was a gift, right? It was a gift from me to her, but I got two tickets, so I get one of them. <laughs> Smart man. That's a good call. It's like a Homer and went down the Simpsons where he bought the bowling ball that said Marge on it or said Homer on it. <laughs> right, right. So that is – I'm very excited for this. Everyone says it's like the greatest thing you'll ever see. So. I've never gone. Yeah. I'd love to. I've entered the lottery a couple times, but I don't, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I did not get this by the lottery. I got this by pain. <laughs> <laughs> You want it on the record. Yes. It was a Christmas present. <laughs> Blood, though. sweat, and tears went into purchasing this ticket. It was a Christmas present, so it was fun. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be good. Uh, but we're excited to be with you today on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. And Ian, we, it feels like when we do a daily show like this, uh, it feels like we keep having to tackle some of the same topics. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of those topics are difficult. Right. And uh, along those lines... Uh, some articles came out just this week, some new news about the Catholic Church uh, and their sex abuse scandals that's been going on for decades, right? Yep. Trying to get your arms around it. Uh, and Pope uh, Francis, there was an article in the New York Times kind of talking about some of his reactions to what's going on. Why don't you fill us in on that a little bit? Well, I think in general, um, the headline kind of says it all. Pope Francis ends landmark sex abuse meeting with strong words but few actions. And it seems like the the general consensus uh, – from right and left is his rhetoric was strong, but we're we're not seeing the kind of like no tolerance, lowering the hammer type of yeah. uh, conclusion that I think we were hoping for. And um, I don't know. It seems like it seems like the world, uh, by and large, is sort of blowing up uh, in response to this. Yeah, it said uh, th- this one victim's advocate said Pope Francis's talk today was a stunning letdown, a catastrophic misreading of grief and outrage of the faithful. As the world's Catholics cry out for concrete change, the Pope instead provides tepid promises, all of which we've heard before. Uh, and and uh, that is difficult to read because there, there feels like there's an opportunity here uh, for them to do something new, for them to do something uh, that is going to make real change. And, and then it came out that Pope Francis's financial advisors, Cardinal George Pell, he was convicted of child sex abuse. And so yeah. it just gets closer and closer. 
and it just unravels and unravels. And man, it's it just each story gets more and more difficult to read. Yeah, it says Pell faces a potential maximum fifty year prison term after Ooh. sentencing hearing that begins uh, on Wednesday, and he lodged an appeal last week of the convictions. And I, some of this stuff is unfolding like a movie, man. Like I don't, um, we mentioned it even last week that I think historically sometimes. The Protestant church has gone after the Catholic church yep. without taking a look inward. And we're seeing with the SBC and a lot of other, a lot of other places, like we, we're not exempt. And it, it almost feels like a competition at this point oh. to out scandal the other. Like, and I don't know, again, we, you know, we're both on uh, way on the outside of these discussions, yep. but uh, just in terms of what's shown up in my newsfeed, the headlines that I'm reading, the articles that I'm diving into, like it just seems to get messier and messier. And I don't know, if this is a helpful place, but like when I see this stuff, obviously first my heart grieves for the victims. Yes. But the second thing that's happening more and more is like, I feel like as someone who was raised in the church, it's becoming more and more clear to me, like why certain people just walked away entirely. I think like I'm, I'm seeing these stories and headlines through the lens of someone that like believes in the church, Mm -hmm. wants to believe the best in leaders, like wants to, wants to work through this, wants to see, Helpful reform wants to see uh, victims find healing and and abusers um, brought to justice, and and yet I I just find myself thinking, yeah, I get it, I get why someone mm. might walk away from these. If I was reading the same news feed and I was on the fence theologically or spiritually, like I'm yeah. out, I'm yeah. not, I have no interest in being a part of this circus. And like it's, I don't know, as a pastor, that's really convicting. Just it like is. trying to see these things through the lenses and the eyes of, of friends of mine who have no interest in seeing the church thrive. You know? Yeah, because you said, like us Protestants have always liked to say, you know, oh, those Catholics can't get their house in order, right? right. We're on the sex abuse stuff. Well, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, like you said, that huge article that came out the other day, that is just the tip of the iceberg. Talk about 700 victims over 20 years. Right. And uh, their new president, J.D. Greer, it was in the news yesterday, he actually came up with a sweeping kind of um, some resolutions, some proposals yep. that a lot of people were saying, well, this is a great start, actually. Like, they were encouraged. Now, like Pope Francis, they were saying, we want to see the actions beside these wor- behind these words, but the words are making a difference. And within 48 or 72 hours, already some subcommittees at the Southern Baptist Convention are already popping that balloon a little bit and and working against these, it seems like. And, and the people are having the exact same reaction now in the Protestant world along our biggest denomination right. as in the Catholic Church. Well, lots of words, very little action. Which makes me, again, kind of intrinsically suspicious because like you and I are both words people. Like A big part of our job uh, is to speak and or write words, which um, I love doing, yep. just to say that out loud. Like I love, I never thought... I would love something as much as I love preaching. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very weird thing um, because not, you know I, I I now get paid to do what I used to get grounded for doing, which was <laughs> just talking too yes. much. Um, but I also know that in my worst moments, um, you can you can say I remember like this idea of controlled vulnerability is what I would call it. This mm-hmm. idea that in a sermon uh, you'd say the right things to kind of to kind of throw people off the trail of what's really going on. And mm. I'm not talking about any kind of scandal, but just yep. oh, if I give them a little bit of vulnerability here, then they'll never know that I'm actually really heartbroken over here. Yeah. So so I'm like probably innately suspicious of like big words, no action, because I know uh, the temptation to just say the right things. If you yep. know your audience, you know your base, you know wh- whoever it is you're communicating to, whether it's the Pope or the SBC or whatever, 
Um, there is a, tem- a real temptation just to say the right things. And uh, to me, I'm getting less and less mm. um, patient, I think, when, when the actions themselves don't follow. Yeah, there is an ability to placate with your totally, words. So just totally. kind of punt everything down. And hope that it blows over, that we'll, you know, we'll get distracted by some other scandal, or they'll forget about this one, so I just gotta buy, I just gotta buy some time, like, I don't know. And I know we keep going down the same route, but everything from the Catholic Church to the Southern Baptist Convention to our world of non-denominational churches between Harvest and Willow, uh, it does make us just feel like, what is our, what can I even do about this? And I think prayer is a big one. Yeah. Uh, It's not like the flippant one we give as Christians, right? Like, no, prayer is important here. Yep. Uh, but also, I think, to look in the mirror, not just as pastors, but hopefully most people out there are in churches, and they go, what's going on in my church? Like, what else? What are your thoughts? What can we do? What, we keep reading these stories, and they feel like such a burden. What What are our options? What do we do with this information? Yeah, I, th- I think when it comes to accountability, um, it needs to be something that we both uh, hold people to, but need to also include ourselves in that. I, I think a lot of times these sort of like vigilante mentality particularly in the in the mob context is uh, holding all these other people accountable yes. but if it like came to my house and my issues like all of a sudden now we're really protective yep. like let's be about accountability in a holistic sense of the word and i know that like no one's calling you or i to like help investigate yeah, uh, no. the vatican or yep. you know what i mean but uh, in our own churches whether you're in leadership or not holding people accountable uh, holding people accountable and yes. making sure to aggressively include yourself in that mix i think yeah. is absolutely critical it's a good word let's be people of prayer and accountability uh hopefully these stories slow down but if not we'll keep covering them and yeah. keep talking about them Gosh, it's heartbreaking yeah well we're off and running here on the common good on am 1160 coming up next there's a, a mayoral election today in uh chicago And uh, there were some sad stories from the city of Chicago over the weekend. And we want to wrestle with them as two pastors, two suburban guys. Uh, What do we do with kind of the the hard stories out of Chicago? That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm along with Ian Simpkins. Glad that you are joining us today. Ian, I believe today... It's kind of like the first round of mayoral elections in the city. I believe I heard that this morning. Yeah. Do you know how many uh, candidates there currently are? I think there's like 743. Yeah. <laughs> 14. 14 really? candidates. Unprecedented. It feels like, a, like, a, like the winning guy is going to get like 100 votes, you know? It's kind of all split <laughs> right, different right, ways. Right. It's all going to come down to about three or four votes. That's true. And the weird thing about living, you and I are both suburbanites. I live in Downers Grove. You live in Naperville. Yep. And uh, you're actually in Naperville, right? I am, I am actually in Naperville. Okay. I knew you worked in Naperville, but I didn't know if you were living there. I love the suspicion, though. Like, you don't you can't are you sure you me. actually in Naperville. You don't strike me as the Naperville. <laughs> I've definitely gotten that before. I love downtown Naperville, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I do, too. My kid, I took my daughter there multiple times this summer, like, walk the Riverwalk and go out to dinner and oh, it's great. do all that. And it so really is. I actually went there after I listened to you preach this summer. So No kidding. It was. That was. Just we, sort of clear head from all that nonsense. <laughs> like, I got to untangle this mess. I had to go out to lunch with my daughter that day and be like, we need to talk that through. <laughs> He's a heretic. Yeah. Everything he said, forget that. Forget that. So <laughs> I'll buy you I'll buy you an omelet. Just smart, forget that. Smart man. <laughs> uh, but being suburbanites like we are, it yeah. can be a weird dynamic with Chicago, yeah. right? Like, yeah. When we tell people where we live, I always tell people if they're not from around here, we live right outside Chicago, right? I'm from Chicago. Right. But where we live is not Chicago. And right. so uh, both the good parts of Chicago, when you go there, they don't look anything like my neighborhood. Right. Uh, and certainly um, 
the the more dangerous or the ba- or the worst parts of Chicago. They don't look like where I live in Downers Grove or you live in Naperville. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is there's this weird numbing kind of dynamic. Like right when you and I turn on the news, it's mostly Chicago stuff. When yeah. we do this, and that's a long way of of talking about this uh, on WGN this this week. There was a discussion about uh, that over the span of. Uh, it says here three hours, there was 30 different people that were shot yeah. and uh, a couple deaths and this and that. And I want to acknowledge how um, tragic that is, but then also wrestle with like, what do we do with that? Right. Like, what is that? Are you numb to that? What, what's the move there? Well, let me, I just want to reiterate the story first. It says 30 shot over a three hour span in Chicago, including an 11 year old and at least 11 teens. Hmm. So that like that headline just kind of stopped me in, in my tracks. And it's, it's no surprise if, if you've been even partially paying attention that uh, there's a, there's a real violence problem in Chicago. And I, you know, I was raised outside Detroit. So it feels like this is a narrative that I'm uh, really, really unfortunately familiar with. Yeah. Um, but part of what kind of struck me when I saw this story, there's a couple of things when, you know, like so often when we read like global statistics, um, those can be hard to wrap our brains around yep. we, when we hear about how many people die from uh, waterborne illness or how many people die of starvation. Sometimes those numbers are so catastrophic, our brain just sort of shuts down and says, well, I don't even know how to wrap my brain around that. And right. it can leave us um, inactive, which is really unfortunate. But in the same way, I think we can see the same types of stories come out of Chicago and we can grow numb to that as well. And, and I think there's another layer to that, though. It's not just... Uh, numb to the seeming repetition of the stories. But like you were saying, sometimes where we're at in Naperville and Downers Grove, it feels like a different world from Chicago. Yes. So you read it, and at a human level, not even just a pastoral level, just a human level, it's like, it's it's heartbreaking. Like those those are sons and daughters and friends and yep. neighbors and coworkers and brothers and sisters. Like that uh, wrecks me. But on the other hand, though, it's like, I can't think of the last time I heard a gunshot, right? Mm-hmm. So if it feels sometimes like it's a different universe. And I realize I, I have to confess sometimes almost a, 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 a partial relief. Like, oh, well, I'm glad that's not my neighborhood. And, and I was just even thinking about that this morning. Like, is, is relief the right response? I'm obviously grateful that um, I'm in a safe neighborhood. Yep. Doesn't mean that we're immune to any of these things, but I, I realize too that sometimes there's a a cushioning that can happen, particularly in our proximity. Like, oh, that's yes. happening over there. Like, yeah. I think of my friend Hannah. She started an organization called Generation Distinct, and I think we're going to have her on the show later. But uh, her her whole heartbeat is how do we become proximate to injustice in the world, in in a world that like really does its best to shield ourselves from those things, to kind of buffer, to to create cushion and distance. Um, is that the life Jesus lived, and, and are we actually called to be proximate to suffering, to grief, to heartache, to pain? And how do we actually do that when we live in Naperville and Downers Grove? Yep. How do you read stories like this and think, okay, so is there a donation button, or is there some some somewhere I should go vote? Should yeah. I rally? Should I protest? Should I, you know what I mean? Like, it, it can often feel so complicated to try to untangle, like, what are we supposed to do about injustice in the world that's literally happening 30 miles from my doorstep and i think that starts by first seeing man that that pain is my pain and not like well that's over there somewhere you know i heard the crazy stat um on our on our sister station here i was actually listening to their morning show on 560 and they use this stat and i might get it a little wrong but you'll you'll see the point of it 
they said that the murder uh, investigation rate uh, of of solving a murder investigation yeah. uh, in New York City, it's 80 percent. Wow. Uh, in Los Angeles, it's 80. Uh, it's also 80 percent. Wow. And in Chicago, it's 17 percent. No kidding. Be, and so there is some systemic problems, right, in yeah, trying geez. to figure out how to get, get enough people to investigate and all this stuff. But wow. uh, but. For be for our purposes, it is like a. Um, I think you used a good phrase that it just feels like a different world. Right. You know, you, you this is on WGN, right? You turn on WGN, and they do all these stories. And what's the first thing I think? Like, is, is Tom Skilling coming on soon? Like, I, I need to know what's going on in the weather. Right. Well, see right. Tom Skilling. Yeah. Or get me to Friends, which is on after this, or right. whatever else. And there's this distance that allows us to feel. It might as well be on the other side of the world. Hmm. Uh, and then we go into Chicago. I'm going to see Hamilton tonight. Where my wife and I are going to go have dinner in the city. Yes. Um, we're going to go to the show. Probably not in the same areas where these are happening. And you're even there, you're able to distance yourself. Right. I do think a takeaway is, like you said, it, people might even be thinking, like, how do we get uh, your word, like, proximate, like, with people hmm. And that's why I like things that, like, quite frankly, your church is doing or other, uh, especially bigger churches, who are starting to link arms with churches down in the city. That's right. That's Start right. churches. We had Mark Job on a month ago. He's, you know, starting all sorts of churches down there. Yeah. We do believe that government, even though it's really important, is not going to be the change agent here. Right. Uh, the police probably can't be the change agent. They can help, obviously. I think the church has to see itself uh, in the hope of the gospel as the change agent. And therefore, even suburban churches need to be going what can we be doing to do whatever we can to help bring about some of that change? Well, and I think we mentioned it yesterday, too, that one of the one of the definitions of privilege is to assume that something's not a problem if it's not a problem for me. Yeah. And again, I realize that there there needs to be a dose of realism, right, that, you know, we can't care equally about every issue. Mm-hmm. But I do think 30 shot over a three hour span in Chicago should concern us. Yes. Like the quote that, you know, there's a community activist named Eric Russell. He said, this hospital is almost like a trauma center in a war zone. Mm-hmm. Like, those words just so rang out to me. Like, okay, that's not okay. This is our city. Yep. This is, like, we, we, there has to be something that we can do to lean in and be proximate to this kind of pain and suffering. And, and I think you're exactly right. It starts first by not swooping in as the Naperville church. Like, here, we're here to save the day. But yep. it's linking arms with the churches that are already there saying, how can we love you guys? How can we support what you're doing? Yep. How can we link arms and resource and platform the stuff that you're doing? Uh, in the city, in these neighborhoods, how, how can we like that? To me, is such an important posture, and easier said than done. Absolutely, absolutely easier. I was just convicted as you were talking and going, "Yeah, I don't know the last time in our church services we've ever prayed for Chicago." Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Uh, but if it's that that's going on, then it's a big deal down there. So we're praying for the mayoral election. Yeah, uh, you know, I know we are all. A lot of us uh, have. Um, Interesting thoughts about Chicago politics and untrusting and stuff, but praying that God's going to do a work, not through the politicians, but primarily through the church, churches of the suburbs, but more importantly, the churches down in the city. Well, speaking of church coming up next, uh, we're going to we're going to talk about a new study that came out that makes this claim that going to church is America's key to long and happy lives. I'm interested in this one. (laughs) That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. I am the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, and Ian is the teaching pastor at Community Christian Church, The Yellow Box, 
in Naperville, Illinois. We love when people follow us on Facebook, that we continue the conversation there. Lots of articles posted and other things. So uh, if you would like to follow us on Facebook, you can do so at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Also, you can go online to find old shows at 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. And finally, if you would like to subscribe to our podcast, which we always encourage you to do, you can do so uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, you can leave us a review, hopefully a good review. And uh, Ian, I actually subscribed to our podcast the other day. I, really, I, I was starting to feel guilty that I told other people <laughs> to subscribe to our podcast. I'm really proud of you, Brian. That's, so, a, that's a big step. Are you subscribed? Of course I am. Okay, so we have two. We got two. <laughs> At least two. I gave us a two-star rating, though. So. <laughs> it was a tough show, the one you listened to. <laughs> right. I was feeling particularly rough that day. It was, you're like, I don't know that one host sounds tired. <laughs> because he is. Uh, the other day I was listening to the station, by the way, and a, uh, uh, an advertisement came on, I think, for, uh, for the discount school thing. Yeah. Or, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait, that's Ian. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. The irony of a, a previous homeschooler <laughs> giving that's an so ad funny. for uh, school vouchers. But. And I do you know, you know what projects really happy on, our, on the radio, too, is Dan Frio. Oh, Dan's energy. That's legit, though. That's oh, who Dan 100%. actually is. I love Dan. He is like the most likable, like high-energy guy I've met in a long yeah, time. He's you, great. You all need to connect with Dan Frio. But I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I was listening with my kids the other day, and all of a sudden a commercial for Dan Frio came out. I'm like, oh, there he is. <laughs> I feel better already. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. Well, speaking of feeling better, that's called a tease. That's called a segue right there. <laughs> oh, gosh. You and I came across an article at the New York Post, which you interestingly made a point to me that's not exactly a Christian publication. Right. Uh, and the title is this, and then I'll let you explain it. The title's just this, Going to Church, and this is where pastors, we're very excited about this title. Perk up, yeah. Going to Church is America's Key to Long and Happy Lives. What are the thoughts about this article? So I have a ton of thoughts. Again, uh, exactly what you said, New York Post, not a, not a Christian publication, not uh, funded by or subsidized by any religious organization. So a headline like that for me, Going to Church is America's Key to Long and Happy Lives, uh, is super intriguing to me. And let me just fill you in on some of the details. Uh, found that men who go to church regularly, or according to various studies, are more likely to get married, less likely to cheat on their wives or girlfriends, to abuse them or to get divorced. Families that attend church, synagogue, or mosque every week are more likely to eat dinner together every day and wow. go on regular family outings. Uh, get this, baby boomers who attended religious services regularly were 40% less likely to die between 2004 and 2014 than their non-attending peers. Uh, and that was a study done by Emory university. Like, so there's, mm. it's all of this. It's really um, like empirical objective data. They're finding that man being a part of this uh, religious community is just good for your biology. It's good for your physiology. And uh, I don't know. I'm always fascinated by because sometimes I think people expect two pastors to say, hey, you should give church a try. Hey, church is important. Hey, give community a try. Give Jesus a try. Like, I, you know, I think people expect us to go there. Um, but to find these, like, objective third parties saying, no, actually, there's some real truth to that. There are some benefits to making that a priority in your life, to invest in a community, to, yeah. to know and be known. And I think uh, it's easy for us as pastors to miss that, that there's – no, no, we don't need to apologize for being excited about being a part of a church because there there are legitimately um, like empirical benefits, apparently. Right, and one of the things I appreciated about this article was that it's not just Christian churches, right? Right. Like this is not coming out of Christianity Today trying to get us get more people into our right, churches. Right. Right. This is mosques. This is synagogues. This is everything. And there's 
And that's why I think you hit on an interesting point. I think at the heart of this might be uh, one of the things at the heart of this is community. The the yeah. need that we have for community, the need we have to know other people and to be known by other people because with community comes accountability. Uh, it comes, you know, uh, I'm a better dad when there are other dads helping me, totally. push me towards being a good dad. I'm a better husband when there are other people speaking into my life. Uh, so I do think there's a thing about community here, but it really also pretends badly for our culture because people are going to church less often. Yeah, yeah. People are less involved in churches, and and so uh, that is a problem if you are to believe this study. Well, and it's dropped apparently from uh, 40% to 36% from 2007 to 2014. And uh, according to Pew Research, in the mid-50s, you know, attendance was as high as 49%. Um, so there has been a, a, a seemingly pretty steady decline now, you ask guys like Ed Stetzer and others who are doing um, a, a number of groundbreaking studies in this particular area. They're saying you're actually losing – it's not that you're losing Christians. It's that the people that were sort of like marginally just sort of attending t- to appease a spouse or a family member, they're just not going anymore. So right. they, you know, the argument that some are making is that it's it's not that you're losing Christ followers. It's just that people are being more honest about where they're actually at. But I like I think it's fascinating. Like right in the middle of the article – they quote uh, a, a guy who's a, he's a conservative Republican Mormon, and he said Hillary Clinton was right. It <laughs> does take a village. And I think, oh, that's interesting. Somebody who I'm sure religiously and politically is yep. not aligned with Hillary is saying, you know what? Um, I wouldn't vote for her, but she's got something right, though. It does take – it is about – I mean, that's it's why our church is called community. Like yes. we believe so fully that – um, man, life is lived better together than it is apart. That we're better together than we are apart. And the you know the proverb, the African proverb that we often quote is that you know if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And everything that you just said, I'm a, I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I'm just a better person when there are people who are walking with me. Not just you know in the valleys of life, but also like just celebrating. Like we talk about this show. The show talks about the common space of yes. life. Like it just, I can't tell you how much um, growth I've seen in my own life by having people who take the time to invest in me, yep. uh, to know me and to know me fully. And I think this research to me just only affirms what I think we already knew at a spiritual level, yes. that like the holistic person neurologically, physiologically, biologically, uh, there actually are benefits. Even if, so if you're listening and you're like, I'm not sure I'm team Jesus yet, or I'm not sure I can sign off on the whole Bible. Like I totally get it. It's still worth taking the risk, like dip a toe in the water, find something close to you and just like invest. And it's not going to be perfect. And there's going to be all sorts of things that you disagree with. That's lean in. Like it really, really is worth finding a community people to, to walk with. And I think that's just a really important reminder. It's well said. That's, uh, that's definitely true. I want to make sure to make the distinction here when it says uh, being part of a church is the key to a good, happy, healthy life that it doesn't mean if you join a church you're you're everything's going to be good your whole life's going to be happy right the old prosperity gospel that all of a sudden now you're going to be uh healthy wealthy and wise at all times <laughs> right, and everything's right. going to go well no in fact being like you just hinted at being a part of a community can very well make your life messier yeah, and sure. more complicated for sure and following jesus can uh jesus himself said you're going to have trouble in this world like right. this is not a promise to the easy life what we're just trying to tell you, especially those of you out there who are not a part of uh, instrumental communities, but specifically church communities, is that you are missing a huge element to um, to what what to a healthy life. Yeah, and again, not the easy life, but the healthy life. And we'd want to encourage you uh, to, like Ian said, dip your toe in the water. Totally, and I think it's like anything too. You know, I don't know that I have a natural proclivity for vegetables at all, <laughs> but I know that when I actually eat vegetables. 
<laughs> my body responds yes. in turn like, yeah, we need more of those and less donuts, right? And what happened is ironically, over time, you're like, oh, I think I actually like vegetables. Sometimes like being in the accountable community can feel like, ah, it's better. It's easier just to do it by myself. Yeah, sometimes it actually will be easier yep. to do it in isolation. But the truth is we were not created. We're not hardwired to do life in silos, to do it in isolation, and you, to fight that urge to stand against the flow sometimes of even what culture tells us to say, nope, I'm going to lean into community, yep. even and especially when it's messy. Man, there's so much there's so much life to be found there. You just said a lot of really good things, but I just heard donuts. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. I just heard donuts. And uh, speaking of a segue there, uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about a fascinating study that deals with sugar and deals with fat and deals with 50 years ago scientists being paid off. Mm. This is good stuff. All I still hear donuts. So who's got the donuts? Who's got the donuts? Anyway, I'm Brian Fromm along with Ian Simpkins. This is The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. That's a happy song, right? <laughs> feel better already. I feel like if I was driving, I'd just be throwing my hands up in the air. Don't. If you're driving, do not throw your hands up in the air right now. <laughs> my word. We need to have a talk afterwards. That, the, the only worst thing I could have said was like, if I was driving, I'd close my eyes and sing along. <laughs> just, just praising the Lord. Wait, should, I, should, I, should I encourage people to call us and text us at Facebook from their cars <laughs> yeah, right now? Yeah, right. While they're eating a hot bowl of soup, maybe, and doing their that nails. Was really right. funny. Yeah. Hey, if you're driving, throw your hands in the air like, you just don't care. Here we go. Oh, that's good stuff. Well, again, anyway, this is The Common Good on AM 1160. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or online at 1160hope.com. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Uh, my co-host is Ian Simpkins. He is the teaching pastor at Community Christian Church, the Yellow Box in Naperville. Illinois. Ian, one of my favorite uh, podcasts to listen to right now. So I've got like a standard kind of 10 to 15 podcasts that I have. Of course, now I've added the common good into it, but <laughs> way to go. I've got my standard podcast. One of them that I've really enjoyed is uh, is called Conspiracy Theories. Of course. It's really, I'm not, I don't <laughs> tend to be the conspiracy theory type. Yeah. Uh, but now that I've listened to this podcast, over you probably over, are now, aren't you? <laughs> folks, if you're a podcaster out there and at all enjoy conspiracy theories, you need to download this podcast. Uh, so I learned all the stuff, everything from the big ones like the JFK assassination, right, right, right. the assassination of Martin Luther King, uh, Roswell, New Mexico, and all that kind of stuff. But then all the way down to like the death of Marilyn Monroe and all this stuff. No anyway, kidding. I've become a bit of a uh, of a. I don't tend to believe the conspiracy theories, but they fascinate me. You I enjoy the drama of all of it. I tend to at the end go, no, no, I think the real story was the story, <laughs> but uh, but I enjoy just hearing about the different crazy conspiracy theories. Why do I bring that up? Because of an article we just came across. And it simply says this, 50 years ago, the sugar industry quietly paid scientists to point blame at fat. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got, so you've got the scientists who are doing uh, these studies 50 years ago about what is causing coronary heart disease, what is causing everything from weight gain all the way up to coronary heart disease, all, all these things that afflict us. And uh, this is big business, right, for the sugar industry, yes. for yes. the fat industry, for the health food, whatever else it might be. And they're kind of uncovering some documents that say that there was a, the people who were kind of in the sugar industry were like paying off researchers Gosh. and influencing the research. Uh, and that now we have generations of people. And it's not saying that it's not true that fat's bad and causes coronary heart disease. But 
what it's saying is like these are not necessarily neutral things that went on. These right, aren't neutral right. ones, and that's kind of scary. We we kind of rely on these in all areas of our life. Well, and you don't really think about um, scientific research being something that's easily paid off. At least mm-hmm. I don't. I don't like live. I'm, I'm not listening to a conspiracy theorist podcast. <laughs> you but should. Like in my naivete, I'm like, yeah, science is science, right? And we're like working to, you know, come up with solutions for everybody and give the empirical facts. And I, I know as a 36 year old man, that's not entirely true. But then I read stuff like this, like, you know, this comes from uh, from NPR, and there's some pretty. Um, some pretty harrowing facts. Now, I'm not a doc. Neither of us are doctors. Right. Um, my brother is a doctor. We've had this conversation at length, and he uses mostly words that are way above my head, and so I <laughs> retain very little of it. I'd love to have you know a doctor on the show sometime to talk about this more extensively, but it is a little frightening to think over the course of half a century, an entire industry could successfully sort of dupe the American public yes. into believing one thing uh, so that they could line their pockets as we look the other direction. Yep. Like that, to me... I, I'm a little embarrassed that it does surprise me, but it kind of does, and it's a little it's a little disheartening. And to those who are like, well, that's 50 years ago. People weren't so smart back then. They they uh, they could fall for stuff. Well, think about this. In 2015, the New York Times obtained emails revealing Coca-Cola's cozy relationship with sponsored researchers who were conducting studies aimed at minimizing the effects of sugary drinks on obesity. Yeah. Even more recently, the Associated Press obtained emails showing how a candy trade association funded and influenced studies to show that children who eat sweets have healthier body weights than those who do not. Wow. And so it, it still goes on today. And, you know, not to not to bring it too much into the political sphere, but think about all the stuff we're reading about Facebook and social media and Russia and elections mm. and that we're being fed these, these different kind of storylines by people with a lot of money. Uh, it, it, this is... This raises the bar for the need to do due diligence and not just believe everything that you read. Well, and I think it's also it's it's pointing to a, a more systemic issue that um, I don't mean to be all doomsday, but Go like you know, the almighty dollar in a lot of ways controls uh, what we read, what we see, what we even have access to. We yes. now know that certain algorithms and certain social media platforms are at the very least sort of steered in certain directions, and like. You know, I feel like so often there's so much being thrown at us in terms of scandal and story that we never actually land on anything for very long. Because, like, I read this. <laughs> I was, like, a little outraged. And then something else stole my attention away. I'm like, okay, now I'm outraged about that. Like, it's <laughs> it's so easy to move on to the next thing because there seems to be so much. Yes. And I don't know if there actually is more or if we just have more access to information. But, like, what you were just sharing about Coca-Cola cozying up and successfully – Entire entity saying, yeah, 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 we're going to kind of we're going to steer this conversation away from this to that. Um, I think we've seen that through uh, a number of different uh, racial divides throughout our country's history oh. and uh, how we talk about um, certain substances like there. There's a, a deepening layer to who controls the narrative and who typically controls the narrative is who has the deepest pockets. Yep. And uh, I don't know. I mean, not to not to get all sermony here, but like. To me, I wonder if that's part of why Jesus is so often kind of pointing to the empire. Mm. Like, you know, you you early Christ followers, and sometimes, you know, in his context, you religious elite are doing the best you can to, like, cozy up to the empire. He's like, that system's busted. Like, that is, this This is why I think Jesus, uh, in so many ways, was so despised, because he's pointing at an infrastructure that, you know, the people at the top were very comfortable with. Yeah. That system was perpetuating their continued uh, mountaintop experience and— uh, Again, I'm not saying overturn the whole thing, but I am saying, like what, like what you're saying, due diligence. You know, like 
find someone that knows this stuff and yeah. to actually to not just swallow unchallenged everything that you hear or read all the time. And that could be overwhelming. First of all, you remember the old the old um, quote that said the history books are written by the winners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by totally. the people who win. Totally. Uh, but it does require across the board uh, if you want. You've got to dig, not to all be conspiracy theory theorists and just doubt that anything is true, but but especially against structures of power, you've got to dig in. And, and if you really want to know the truth, you've got to do the work to get there. Yeah. And that's true within the church with everything totally. we just talked about. Totally. The Catholic Church and the Southern Baptist Convention and Harvest. Like These are now being uncovered because some people have said, you know what, I think there's more there and I'm just not going to take the company line. And so it's funny to think about fats and, yep. and sugar, although it's not that funny when you when it's dealing with our kids' health and all this stuff. Uh, but like you said, issues of race, issues of power within mm. the church, within the government. Uh, and then, you know, study after study after study, and you never do give much thought to, huh, I wonder who's paying for this thing. Yeah. Well, and that's not to say that, like, you know, we're, we're talking about this specific story. I'm not saying that everything that was published or everything no. that's been perpetuated uh, is a lie either. That I mean, that is part of the... That's the trickiness of it all is like, oh, it's it's not baby in the bathwater now. There there probably have been some true things that have been disclosed, that have been advertised, that have been uh, shared with the American public. But like what you're saying, uh, due diligence is so important. Not just, I mean, if, if I'm just outraged about diets, maybe we need to be as outraged about <laughs> systems of injustice. Valid point. Valid point. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next, we're going to talk about overwork. And how it's making Americans miserable. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm alongside... Ian Simpkins, we're hoping that you're having a good Tuesday afternoon or evening now, driving home, hopefully going home and uh, going home from work. And work is what we want to talk about, man. And it is simply that I feel like we said this in the first hour that you and I keep talking about the same things because I think there are certain. Do you ever find yourself preaching about the same things constantly? Like you're like you're (laughs) like if if my people could understand these three things, I would be happy. Well, and I will say this too. Uh, one of the things that I love about our process is that all of our, our sermons are written collaboratively. Yep. So it does help us keep from like only speaking about the three things that like yes. Ian would be drawn to. It does yes. help create a kind of a holistic uh, calendar there yep. for sure. Yep. I, I feel like one of the things you and I keep going back from the show on the side of the show is our our tendency in our culture to overwork. Yes. And not just overwork because it's necessary or we're trying to make more money, and those are important, but also overworking because it's our identity. It's right. how we uh, feel like we have value. And let me uh, use all of that to talk about this article out of The Atlantic that you you were looking at. In The Atlantic, you can find it at theatlantic.com. It's called Workism is Making Americans Miserable. Let me just highlight some of the key points. In 1930, uh, the economist John Maynard Keynes 
He predicted that there would be a 15-hour work week in the 21st century, creating the equivalent of the five-day weekend. He's quoted as saying, for the first time since the creation of man, uh, man will be faced with his real, his permanent problem, how to occupy the leisure. Hmm. And then this became the popular view to the point that in 1957, in a New York Times article, uh, the writer said that as work became easier, our identity would be defined not by our work, but by our hobbies or our family life. And he wrote, the increasingly automatic nature of many jobs, coupled with the shortening work week, leads an increasing number of workers to look not to work, but to leisure for satisfaction, meaning and expression. And I would say to you that I don't think that that we do have more automation. Yeah. We've got more of this stuff, but I would not say that we have more leisure. <laughs> well, maybe you and I don't have leisure. I wonder because <laughs> the story does go on. It says these, these post work predictions weren't entirely wrong. By some counts, Americans work much less than they used to. The average work year has shrunk by more than 200 hours. Mm. But those figures don't tell the whole story. Rich college educated uh, people, especially men, work more than they did many decades ago. They're reared from their teenage years to make their passion their career, mm. and they don't. Uh, and if they don't have a calling, told not to yield until they find one. So it, so there's, there's a pretty uh, complex duality to this story that, okay, so by and large, we are working less, but there are yep. certain demographics that are clearly working way more. So even with automation, even with uh, some of these technological advances, we are still finding that a number of people are driving themselves into the ground um, because, like you had said, work isn't just simply something that you do. It's it's who you are in a lot of contexts. And I think there, for a lot of us, therein lies the problem. And it's interesting. It says here that the economists of the early 20th century did not foresee that work might evolve from a means of material production to a means of identity production. Mm. And that they failed, it said, to anticipate that for the poor and the middle class, work would remain a necessity but for the college educated, it would morph into a kind of religion, promising identity, transcendence, and community, something that we call workism. And yeah. man, that is so true. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Because <laughs> I know a lot of people, maybe myself included, uh, who you're like, you don't need to work that much. Mm. And it seems like that with upward mobility of salary and position and power comes actually more hours and right. more expectations. When you would think the opposite's the truth, right? You think you get high enough in a company, other people can do the work, <laughs> and and you could have more time. Uh, I do appreciate about this article; it's saying that it's not the necessity of it; it's the kind of the religion of it, and that it's killing us. Well, and I, I think it, it is worth noting too that you and I have both expressed how grateful we are to love what we do. Absolutely, like, I, that to me, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not in some way, shape, or form like staring that down, like, man, I'm so grateful that I, I really do enjoy it. Yes. You know, it's not perfect, but I, I really do love what we get to do. And I do think, like, in my most honest moments, uh, I have a number of friends in my life who I think are 40 times more talented than I am that can't find work. Like, that that seems so common and prevalent. So there is sometimes, like, a just a low-level guilt on my part. Like, man, this this guy is... 80 times the pastor I am, and he he can't even get a job. It's feel, like I, I feel sometimes wow. um, so overwhelmingly grateful, but also with that sometimes comes like, man, I, I need to overwork that. I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have a job at all, which in many cases is is very true. Um, but it is it is pretty humbling, I think, when you look at the landscape of either how many people are unemployed or how many people really, really uh, dislike what they do or even just middle of the road. They like, don't hate it, but it, it there's no there's no passion for them. I'm like, man. How blessed are we that we not only are employed but yes. love what we do? I'm I'm realizing more and more 
um, how rare some of that is. So I understand all the more, I think, this obsession towards like this integration of identity and work because, yeah. you know, there's there can be a lot of other strings behind the scenes that are like leading to that obsession. It is. I always find it interesting. Uh, and I always find it a little uncomfortable uh, when people refer to me as pastor. Like they, they don't say my name, but they mm. say pastor. Mm. And because it's that whole inner tangling of the, or your identity. Who am I? Am I Brian or am I pastor? Um, but it's interesting. It says uh, that there is, if this workism is a religion of sorts within our culture, then what is it that, that we sacrifice on the altar of workism? That's good. And it's family. Yep. It's health. Yep. Right. There aren't a lot of healthy, overworking people. It's, right. it's peace of mind. It's, yep. uh, it's leisure. Um, it's hobbies. And a lot for a lot of people, um, it's, it's their faith. <laughs> I don't have time to read my Bible or have focus on that kind of stuff. I'm right. too busy. It's Sabbath. It's all these kinds of things. And that's where it becomes, you know, biblically speaking, it becomes idol worship. Yeah. The right. idol of our job takes away from where our true worship is supposed to be. Well, and there's, here's the part of the story that for me, this, this almost starts to sound like a sermon in, yeah. in the best sense. It says in the past century, the American conception of work has shifted from jobs to careers, to callings, from from necessity to status to meaning. Mm. And like just seeing that in print for some reason right now is actually really haunting. To watch the progression from necessity to status to meaning, yeah, it makes sense then that we'd see this hyper-increased obsession because if that is how we find even part of our meaning, then of course we're going to give our full selves to yes. it. And like you were just saying, if you're going to give your full self to something, something else is going to suffer. And unfortunately, that often ends up being our family, our health, our, our spirituality. Mm. That, that I think, is a, that's a haunting caution. I, I recommend, I mean, it, it's on the Atlantic. It's called Workism is Making Americans Miserable. It's a, it's a long article. It is worth the read. I can't encourage you enough uh, really to take good. the time to actually dive into this a little bit. It makes me think, too, like you just referenced all of your friends and people who can't find their, right, their work. They can't right. find what they've dreamt of doing. Yep. And for those people, if that's you out there, um, know that your identity is also not found in the job you can't find. That's right. <laughs> your identity, just as much as the person whose identity is found in their work, and we want to tell them, no, your identity is in Christ. Those of you who can't find your dream job, your identity is also secure in Christ. You're still loved and valued. Uh, I hadn't thought of it from that angle. That's well said, man. You, you are far more than your greatest success or your greatest failure. Or your greatest failure. That's That'll cool. preach. This article will preach. I think I'm going to bookmark this one. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. No kidding, man. Well, coming up next on The Common Good, we're going to talk about a gathering of thousands of Christians who met in prayer and worship in Orlando to declare a new era of evangelism. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. You can find us online at 1160hope.com or on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can also find our podcast anywhere it is uh, that you subscribe and find podcasts. We're hoping people leave us nice reviews. Just <laughs> or glowing. reviews at all. Just be honest. Just be honest. Be honestly nice. <laughs> You're a words of affirmation guy, I forgot. <laughs> Apparently so. I'm needy. I'm needy. Ian, you and I as pastors and as youth pastors back in the day, we've become accustomed to kind of the big rallies, right? Yeah. So uh, national rallies, your church, uh, well, not really your church, but the people from your church 
are kind of behind one of the best things I have ever gone to for multiple years, Exponential Conference mm-hmm. down yeah. in Orlando. Yeah, it's coming a, up. A nationwide uh, gathering of church planters yeah. and people who want to plant churches. Glo- love, global even. Global, actually. yes. Yeah. I love Exponential. Um, and so my point being, we get kind of this kind of stuff. So with that in mind, uh, in Orlando recently, uh, there was a gathering at the Camping World Stadium in Orlando to declare a new era of evangelism, praying and believing that America will turn back to God. It was all part of an event known as The Send, a collaboration of national ministries like Youth with a Mission and Christ for All Nations. Speakers included Francis Chan and Todd White and some others. And they wanted to convey one message to take every get every believer to take action, uh, to live uh, to take action more specifically in sharing their faith. Uh, and the, one of the guys in charge of it, a guy by the name of Lou Engel, said, we feel that we're moving into an era in American history like the 70s, a new Jesus movement's going to take place. He believes that God will, quote, raise up many evangelists to follow in the footsteps of the late Reverend Billy Graham. So as you read this, you hear this, uh, I think you and I both, as we were chatting about it, go, man, I'm really excited about the enthusiasm and uneasy about some other parts of it. So why don't you tackle one of those? You know, I always, uh, I think I always have had a a little bit of a love-hate relationship with, you know, these massive conferences because sometimes the irony is that you'll be, you know, in an arena of 40,000 people and some guy on the stage in the middle is like, hey, pay attention to the small things in life. I'm like, it's easy for you to say, man, you're center stage at an arena. Like, it feels a little, like nobody's asking, yeah. you know, the pastor of a 120-person church. Or the, it's always the mega famous, sold a billion copies. And so I, I sometimes have a, a little bit of a, a hard time getting totally on board with sort of the, the rah-rah hype type of conference. But then I, you know, I read the rest of the article, and it's like people committed to fasting, people committed to sharing their faith, I think. I'm, I'm obviously for that. I do think uh, in some ways evangelism either has shifted or needs to shift. Yes. And I don't necessarily know that we're always on the ball as a big C church in the ways that those are shifting. You know, like you and I have talked on previous shows about um, being handed a clipboard and then getting sent to the mall or in your case, the beach, the beach. just to ask people uh, up front, hey, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And I remember, you know, from an early age being kind of uneasy with that approach. I'm not even necessarily knocking it. Ah, I kind of am. I am kind of knocking yeah. it. But, like, really feeling like a terrible Christian because I didn't want to yep. cold call people at the mall with a clipboard yep. and feeling like, well, that is what evangelism is. So if yes. you don't like doing that, you don't like evangelism. And if you don't like evangelism, you don't care about lost souls. Yeah. And as a little 13-year-old, that, was, that took me some time to untangle a little bit. And so I'm saying all that um, – with more questions than answers, you know, because I do also yeah. know that sometimes um, what we call wisdom is actual cowardice. Mm. Like, oh, I don't, oh, I'm, I just want to build relationships. You're like, is it though possible that you just don't want to talk about spirit? You don't want to be the weird Christian in the room. Yeah. I've been there. I've totally been the, we've talked about this too. Like someone asks what you do and that like really embarrassing, icky human part of us is like, I work with people, yep, you yep. know, like. You'd think that we would just embrace that, and there, honestly, in our most human moments, evangelism, even for pastors, can be really, really hard. Yes. Um, so I'm always trying to, trying to balance and scrutinize, like, okay, is this wisdom in this moment, or is it actual cowardice? You know, because yeah. they're they're talking multiple times in this article about the war on inaction. Right. And I, you know, I again, I probably have a love hate relationship with that language too. But part of me thinks, yeah, we are probably too inactive. Yep. Like, yeah, all right, let's. 
let's let's uh, speak some courage into one another and actually maybe open our mouths where we're inclined to be yeah. quiet. But in another way, sometimes I think maybe we talk too much. Sometimes that's mm-hmm. maybe maybe sometimes the war on on inaction needs to look like us listening better. You know, yeah. as a as a faith people. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And I want to go at this guy's line here. A new Jesus movement's going to take place. And I want to think about this question. What do you think a Jesus movement looks like mm. in 2019? Because he's he's hearkening back to the 70s, kind of the heyday of Billy Graham and, and some of the other evangelists, uh, like you said, who filled stadiums and preached the gospel and yeah. played the music. And then the people came down uh, and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were saved through those. Uh, and fruit is still being born, but I, my gut tells me that 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 the seventies Jesus movement and the two thousand nineteen Jesus movement looks different. Yeah, in some ways, this feels a little bit like you know, make evangelism great again, sort of. You know, like <laughs> oh, let's do it like we used to do it. And again, I'm not saying, particularly when it comes to the Jesus movement, Billy Graham, some of the stuff that we valued as a as a church, as a people in the seventies, wasn't yeah. like yeah, let's totally get back family values, time for like. Knowing your neighbor, I'm not saying um, that there's not a lot of good there, but I do. I'm always a little leery when when our forward thinking leaders are like, "Let's just do what we did 40 years ago." Yeah. I'm like, "Nope." Uh, there's a lot now that we didn't have then that we need to be mindful of. There's conversations that we need to be having. There's uh, issues and demographics, and I think uh, there's there needs to be wisdom in I think learning to actually assess where we're at, and maybe more importantly. Where are we going? Where, where is the church of tomorrow? And how does that, what does it look like to be in the trenches, to link arms with the marginalized and the oppressed, to do so in a way that isn't patronizing, that isn't, you know, white Jesus with blue eyes. It isn't, uh, you know, we're here to save the day, but it's, it is still gospel centered. It still is. Jesus is the way to life and redemption. Um, but I think some of what we missed 40 decades, uh, 40, four decades ago is, yeah some of the messiness that we've been talking about, yeah. which I think that is, it's got to be the way of the future of creating space for people to doubt, to disagree, to have questions and to not tie everything up with easy answers. Yeah. And I think uh, you and I, we both feel weird when Christians use the word war, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know we're in a spiritual battle in this, right, and this but every, right. not everything's a war. Like there's not a war <laughs> on Christmas and a war on an action right, and a war on right, this and that. But, right. but I, I like the point here, like we need to be raising up people uh, next generation, but also this generation, to be like, no, no, there is an activeness to your faith. There's Holy. an activeness to following Jesus. I think the real question for us is, what does a war, quote unquote, on inaction look like? Now? Right. What is it that we're trying to cause people to be active in? Is it yeah. just preaching and sharing your faith in front of stadiums? Or is do we live in a maybe a little bit more of an aware, complex culture in which we need to be active uh, sharing the gospel here and living out the gospel here and doing this here, and that that's the inaction we need to be raising up people against. Well, and in some ways, we maybe need a war on action, like mm-hmm. we were just talking about. Sometimes I think our schedules are crammed so full that we're not creating space for rest, for Sabbath, and that in light of that, we're also not creating space and margin to like really know our neighbors, yeah. to really spend time thinking about complex issues. So like in some ways, I think... We're action obsessed, oh, and, and and if that's the stuff that's crowding out all of our time, all of our space to actually hear from the Spirit of God, you know, writers like, you know, Henry Nouwen, who are who have historically always talked about, man, until you've created space in your heart to really hear from and receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, mm. like all of this action is just kind of clanging noise. symbols. It's just yeah. noise, and I think, man, 
if we're not creating space for that kind of stuff in our lives, then then maybe maybe that's the adjustment we need to make. Yeah, I think the beauty of this conference and whatever it was, I think the call is, yes, we need to be people on mission, living out our faith, totally. loving on people. Uh, the question is, how does that best look like? We all want to see a Jesus movement. That's why we do what we do. Yeah. And which is what we should have named the show. Jesus the movement. Jesus movement. <laughs> that feels a little uh, lofty. A little ambitious. <laughs> uh, but we all want to see that. The question is, how is that best done? And I think that's good for churches to wrestle with. It's good for each of us to wrestle with yeah. as individuals. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk Lady Gaga. All right. I just like saying that name. We're going to talk Lady Gaga. <laughs> maybe if you stick around, maybe Ian or I will sing her new song. Not we'll likely. It. Not likely. It. Come on, Shallow. You, you and I will go. I'll let you take that. One, one of us will do with the Gaga version, <laughs> one with Bradley Cooper. So that's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Apparently, we're a smooth jazz station now. <laughs> I think you got to lower your voice lower three octaves. Yeah, talk kind of breathy. Just get real, <laughs> real sultry here on the common good. This is the common good, y'all. How I don't know where today? the y'all came from. <laughs> How are you today? Okay. I'm, I'm just going to leave now. <laughs> Can't do that. Nope. Anyway, it's common good. A name eleven sixty. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, along with. Ian Simpkins. Ian, did you watch any of the Oscars the other day? Not a lick of it. Well, I was in the background. I was I was hanging with a couple of, uh, of dear friends, and it was playing in the screen. <laughs> but I, I honestly didn't even know that it was the Oscars. That was better off that way. That was better <laughs> off. I barely watched any of it either. Um, but what I did see, and I mentioned this yesterday, was I saw the Lady Gaga duet with Bradley Cooper. Uh, really powerful. They were in A Star Is Born. You said you saw A Star Is Born, right? I I did. I actually really, really enjoyed it. My my wife and I both saw it. Good, good. I said my wife saw it. I did not. My wife cried and cried. She was crying when she got home from it. And <laughs> so, well, it I can understand why. I'm not sure I want to see this movie anymore. <laughs> uh, That's always the best when someone like threw tears. is like, you should totally see this movie. Uh, it was like, so good. No, nope. nope. You seem real sad, actually. It's going to join the list of Bambi, Old Yeller, some of the others. I'm out. <laughs> maybe. I'm out. Maybe. <laughs> so... Because of Lady Gaga's performance in A Star is Born, she has been getting a lot more notoriety uh-huh. now, even than, I mean, she's a world-renowned singer, uh-huh. uh, already as famous as any singer, you know, in And a legitimate culture. musician, too, she's like great. a classically trained yeah, pianist she, and everything. She's, she's talented. She has a lot of, like, especially early in her career, she did a lot of, like, shocking things that sometimes took away from, oh, wait, no, she can really sing. Yeah, right. She can really yes. do this. Uh, but some interesting stories have been coming out about Lady Gaga that I want to um, – that, that when I saw this one in particular, I was fascinated by it. And that's this. Uh, when Lady Gaga was in college, her real name apparently is Stephanie Germanato, yeah. Germanata. Yeah. Uh, and 15 people at her college made a Facebook page. This is the very beginnings of Facebook, right? Okay. They made a Facebook page, and it's got her picture on it, and it is literally titled this. Stephanie or Stefani, I'm not sure exactly, but we'll go Stephanie Germanata, you will never be famous. Mm. That was the name. It was just a bullying page. That's just rude. <laughs> and it's interesting to me, if I was in college and I had dreams and stuff and somebody made a page like that, I would probably have, that could have derailed me, I think. No kidding. I think so, uh, depending on what the relationship is with these people. Sure. But, but the fact that she kind of used it as fuel in some ways, you start to, this is coming out because she has talked about it, about how this fueled her. Yeah. Uh, or you had a story about how she had an ex-boyfriend who said some things about her and that, that really fueled her. Um, I find this really fascinating. 
Yeah, like the, you forget the journey that these people have been on to get where they are. Totally, you, you see them as superstars, and you forget that they were like insecure college students at one point. The, right. the quote that I saw floating around, she said, "I I had a boyfriend who told me uh, I'd never succeed, never be nominated for a Grammy, never have a hit song, uh, and that he hoped I'd fail." Which is mm. a great boyfriend, right? Uh, <laughs> I said to him, "Someday, when we're not together, you won't be able to order a cup of coffee at the deli without hearing or seeing me." And again, like this is her quote, so yep. who knows like how accurate that is or how how direct a quote that is. But it is it is pretty fascinating to think of someone uh, like Lady Gaga now, who's achieved such superstardom. But I look at like a Facebook group and I think, one, grow up, <laughs> like right. that's uh, in college. Like I, you know, that seems so junior high to me. Like to create a you won't be famous group just seems mean. Yep. Uh, and I guess uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm embarrassed that I'm surprised by that. But it is fascinating to me, though, that like someone like that would use that as fuel, um, and sometimes that fuel can be used for very vain purposes, right? Yes. Like some, I think the easy conclusion, the easy kind of takeaway of a story like this can be a reach for the stars, and you too will be Lady Gaga. You too will win a Grammy. That's not the uh, point. Nope, it, it really nope. like we're telling her story because people know her name, but you know, for every Lady Gaga, there's a thousand other people who had someone make a Facebook group like that who will never be famous. Yeah. So what do we say to that person, right? Yeah. Who is like legitimately feeling like, Oh, they were right. They were right in college. I am, I am a failure. Mm-hmm. Like what, do, what do you as a pastor say to someone who, who feels like they're in that place? Yeah, it's a great point. I, I guess I would want to tell those people that just as lady Gaga was not defined. How many times am I going to say Gaga? I'm enjoying this. <laughs> just as she was not to be defined by the opinions of other people, uh, telling her who she could be and who she couldn't be. Yeah. So the person who hasn't reached all of their dreams is not defined by what they've accomplished or what other people have said about them. And yeah. you're defined by who God says that you are, that you've been created with value, uh, that you are loved more than you could ever imagine. And we see that in the, in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and that right. you've been given an identity of Christ. And it doesn't matter whether you're famous or not. And, um, I think wherever you are in the spectrum, you need to hear that and not just hear it. You need to you need to internalize that on yeah. some level that says, okay, I am not what other people say that I am or I am not whether I made my dream or not, um, that those won't define me. Okay, so, so you made a good point, and it's a sentiment that I, I feel like we've said a lot on the show, right? Uh-huh. Um, you are not the sum of your accomplishments to not let people define you. Uh, how then would you, would you coach uh, or advise someone who uh, is at a place where somebody actually is giving them wise counsel, though, because I do think sometimes this sentiment can be run uh, to its very end where, like, I remember a guy was in my office once years ago, and he was confessing to all sorts of things, not the least of which was a debilitating alcoholism. Ooh. And he was about to lose his wife, yep. his job, his family. So he's, he's just unloading all of this. And then he said, but don't judge me, man. Just love me for me. Oh, no. And we're thinking... Your assumption is the highest form of love that I can show you is oh. to let you continue to destroy your life. When I think what what you really need is someone to like, like give you a swift kick in the pants and say, hey, man, you, you got to change like yesterday. And I think that the same sentiment sometimes can be applied to those situations. Like, don't let don't let anyone else define you or tell you to who you are. Like, well, in that case, yeah. though, the guy was like minutes from losing everything that he cared about. Yes. How, what's, how do you offer counsel on the other side where sometimes we do need to listen to wise counsel to people who are saying things that maybe in the moment we just don't want to hear 
and we're tempted to jump to like, well, look at Lady Gaga. She didn't let anyone speak into her life, so I'm not going to let anyone do it either. <laughs> That's a great point. You know, how do you how do you offer that balance? I, I would say a little bit of it depends on who's giving the advice. Yeah, right? that's true. Uh, if Lady Gaga had been, uh, and maybe she, maybe it's apples and oranges because maybe she still should have gone after her dreams. But if it was like her longtime music teacher who was coming to her, it's like when you watch American Idol. And yeah, people go on there and they think they're good singers and they're right. not, and you're just like, well, now you're just embarrassing yourself. Right. Uh, if it's a if a, you know a trusted pastor or a trusted friend is saying, hey, you're going down a bad path, well, mm. then it's wisdom to start to hear this. Right. Um, if it's somebody who's um, in front of you. You know, if you're like, hey, no, I'm going to be an NBA player. And you're like, yes. no, you can't jump or shoot or you're slow. If, yep. though, that's where community and friendship <laughs> becomes important things mm-hmm. for people to tell us the truth. Um, the Lady Gaga one just feels like bullying right? right. Like or jealousy yeah, or right. whatever else. Yeah, if it's on the other side and you're not willing to hear things from people of, of truth, from people that you respect and right. trust and love, right. then you've got a problem. And you're probably on a pathway to destruction uh, and they're giving you wise counsel trying to help you and stop you. And that's not to say that even trusted close friends and mentors don't also still make mistakes. Correct. Right? Like just because they're close and trusted doesn't mean that their advice is going to be 100% accurate all the time. But like a trusted mentor or friend isn't going to make a Facebook group that says you're never, you'll never be famous, yes. right? I, it is funny, though. Like the, the older I get, the more I've kind of like narrowed the aperture of like who speaks into my life. Yep. Like the trusted try, – like people – and I've said this before – that both love me but also aren't cowards. Yeah. And that pairing for me is so important that I, I know it's rooted in love, even if it stings, mm-hmm. but I also know that they're not cowards. They're not going to just tell me what I want to hear to kind of like keep me happy for a moment. And like finding close, trusted friends who both love you and aren't cowards, they'll, they'll tell you you have spinach in your teeth, you know? Mm. I think that's such an important friend, circle of friends to have. And I think, uh, man. Yeah, uh, if I if I look back the last ten or fifteen years, I wish somebody would have told me that ten or fifteen years ago. That's interesting. You've you've shrunk the circle to, to use the old meet the parents, right? You've yeah, shrunk, shrunk in the circle of trust. Yeah, but my guess is the people who remain in that circle, uh, their words are almost gospel to you. Yeah, they're like lifers. Too. You're you're going to oh. hear their words and not tr- not distrust their motives. That's you're right. not going to question right. what they're trying to do, and therefore you're more likely to listen. Right. Whereas, you know, if a Facebook group pops up being like, I hate Ian Simkin's preach, preaching. <laughs> Thanks for starting that group, by the way. That was really- <laughs> I've got some time today. I'm going to work on that. <laughs> well, that's good stuff, man. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Uh, coming up next, uh, we are going to end the show the way we do every, every uh, show with just some craziness we found on the Internet. Just some laughs as we talk about hard stuff and good stuff. Now we want to laugh and talk about some funny stuff. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. That music can only mean one thing. That could really mean two things. One is, <laughs> one is, we're, one is our producer, Josh, is laughing. Right. That's one. When that every, comes, the giggles happen. Every time. Every time. <laughs> well, go ahead, man. But secondly, secondly, it means that it is the end of the show, and we've got just some funny things from the Internet, some interwebs, insanity, if you will. I will. There you go. Well, why don't you start us? All right, it's out of England, and I sigh because this story is so gross and so weird. <laughs> the headline says, Woman hopes to make leather handbag with skin from her amputated leg. A woman is reportedly trying to find a designer who will make her a handbag out of her own skin from amputated leg. I don't know why I felt the need to read that twice. It's the same information. 
still just as gross. It just lands. It, la- it lands heavy still. Yeah, there's a, a doctor named Hannibal Lecter that would be <laughs> happy to. That's just so strange. It also the next paragraph, Joan, who did not provide her last name. <laughs> I'm like, it's a good call, Joan. That's don't let the world know who you are. I just I'm trying to imagine you're just let's say you're at church yep. and somebody walks up and you're like, oh my gosh, I love your purse, and you're like, you know. That's I don't. Do people touch each other's purses? Like, oh, nice purse. That's a great purse. And, and you're hearing the other person go, "Oh, thanks. That's from skin from my leg. That's my leg." I'm like, great. I have to go. Uh, I have to go burn my hand now. I can't. Like, what a w- weird encounter that would be. You know, when it comes to fashion, people are always looking to get a leg up on the competition. Oh, <laughs> gross. And yet, touche. Well done. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Florida. We're going to Florida. We're not going to Florida. Well, we are uh, metaphorically. Okay. <laughs> Uh, stolen rare coins ended up in change machines. I love this story. A South Florida man stole collectible coins worth tens of thousands of dollars. You want to know what he did with them? <laughs> he ran to the grocery store change machines, threw them in them, thinking he would get that amount of no. money back. <laughs> thinking that the change machines could differentiate these rare coins. <laughs> he thought he was going to get. It reports that the 20-year-old uh, told investigators he stole the commemorative presidential dollar coins and other items uh, from a North Palm Beach office, the coins were worth $33,000. He says he sold some coins for a few thousand dollars, and he ran many through the change machines that only he was surprised produced uh, their face value. <laughs> I'm just picturing the disappointment. Like, yes. he, like he like gets a manager. like, hey, I had these stolen coins that I threw in your machine, and uh, I don't think it gave me the correct value back. I'm supposed to get back like ten grand. It gave me back a dollar. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Florida. There's a metaphor, a sermon illustration there somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, uh, this one's out of Ireland. I don't know if we've ever done Ireland, to be honest. I don't think uh, so. This one says, woman calls police after dealer sold her sugar instead of cocaine. <laughs> First line is, ah, there's nothing worse than being ripped off. But police were still left quite surprised when a woman called in to report that her drug dealer had sold her brown sugar instead of the cocaine that she ordered. Not just sugar, brown sugar. Brown sugar. I'm I'm not a cocaine expert. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first giveaway, I think. That's a funny. bag of well, and then it says later that she made cookies, so that's good. <laughs> From our earlier segment, at least it wasn't fat. That's know? true. <laughs> yeah, right, right. If you didn't get that joke, you need to get on the podcast and go backwards a couple hours, nice an plug. hour or two here. Nice so, plug. Hey, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna stay in Florida, enjoying right. it. It's warm. Just gonna enjoy it here. So we're going to Florida. An alligator lounging along a golf course lake is a common Florida sight, but rarely does one join in the game. Joanne and Len Sadowski were playing in a local couples tournament Saturday when she had a bad tee shot off the second hole at Bonita National Golf Club. I shanked it to the right, she said. It was close to the gator's head. As the ball's coming, the gator jumped up and caught it in its mouth. A light pink ball ended up in the powerful jaws of the local alligator, but you want to know what she was happy about? What? She got a free drop. She said it (laughs) it saved her from a hazard penalty. Oh, gosh. (laughs) It says, we've seen the balls in the fish or a turtle in their mouth, but never a golf ball in the mouth uh, of an alligator. So. But the free drop, they still lost the tournament. But that's awesome that she said, you know what? Hey, free drop. Hey, that's, 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 uh, that's not a penalty right there. That's an optimist right there. There you go. This one's out of Maryland. This fortune cookies advice leads man to one hundred thousand dollar jackpot. Yes. A Maryland man said uh, a Maryland man said a piece of advice from a fortune cookie turned out to be uh, exactly what helped him win a hundred thousand dollar lottery jackpot. Uh, Diego, twenty five of Riverdale, told Mar- uh, Maryland lottery officials he was eating lunch at a Chinese buffet. 
with his brother when a fortune cookie informed him that it was his lucky day and he went to a 7-Eleven and uh, turns out that fortune cookie was right, which I feel like, okay, so if, if he wins this money because of that fortune cookie, do you give any of that money to that Chinese restaurant? Uh, how much was it that it say? $100,000. I might at least frequent the place more often. You might frequent <laughs> the place more often. We've All right. Al- we've already learned on this show that I'm stingy and cheap, so <laughs> that is good. I love the fortune cookie. Do you open them? I would believe more in fortune cookies. A, if I wasn't a pastor, because right. we don't believe in those things. Sure. But two, if every now and then you could pull one that had a bad fortune. Oh, all right. Like, how are the, the fortune cookies, can it all be accurate when everything's positive and good? Like, you want to be like, what if you opened a fortune cookie and it said, hey, you're going to get out of your chair and bang your knee on the table? <laughs> okay. I got the wrong cookie. I, my frustration is that so many of them aren't fortunes at all. They're yeah. like, you open it up and it just says, you have nice hair. You're like, that's not a fortune. That's just, that's just <laughs> a declaration. You. Yeah. I mean, I'm grateful for the compliment, but still, not a fortune. Like if every, you know, if 25 to 30% of the fortune cookies gave you bad fortunes or like bad things, then I'd believe the good ones more likely. But every one of them's like. <laughs> you would? Yeah. That's what it would take for you yeah. to believe fortune every cookies. Them, every one of them's like, no, you're super. You're going to win everything. You're going to do this. No, one of them's going to be like, hey, you're going to get in a horrific accident on the way home from the restaurant. Like, okay. I'm glad to know that you're that easily steered. (laughs) If there were more negative ones, I'd believe fortune cookies more often. (laughs) I think I think more people are with me on that one. All right. We'll find out. There you go. All right. This one, I think it's out of England, but this one is a little different than we normally do. But a title is this. This thought box will supposedly help you tune things out. So you can buy in England. A British shop is offering a new way to get your head together called the Thought Box okay. says, hold on to your thinking caps. The Thought Box is a big black box you just put on your head to shut out the noise and nonsense of daily life. Wow. A kind of reverse of the ostrich head in the sand maneuver. So it sounds okay, right? It's literally, if you see the picture, it's like a big cardboard box. You it sounds put, okay to you? <laughs> you just put this cardboard box. It says the whole thing fits together snugly with the box fitting right there. Uh, right over your head. It, also, you could pay extra money and get earplugs so you can't hear anything. How much would you pay for the thought box? Zero. I wouldn't pay a dime for this. Hey, if you had to buy the thought box, what would you pay for it? Ten cents. This is selling for $640. That's nonsense. $640 plus shipping. So if you want to get it from the UK, you're talking another 50 to to $100. The world's over. Civilization is lost. I People can't. are buying these That's things. That's nonsense. The thought box. It's just a black cardboard box with earplugs. <laughs> if you want to pay extra, you know what else you can get? They're selling it as an accessory with it. The thought stool. Oh, my God. And the thought box fits right under. We should make a common thought good thought box. We should, we awesome. should make that available on the website. <laughs> a common good Our branded thought box. On there. <laughs> That That's awful. Awesome. awesome. You got one more? I got one more out of uh, Arkansas. Teen jailed after calling 911 on himself to demand his own arrest for getting drunk at home. I'll just leave it there. This, this kid, teenager, called on himself for getting drunk at home. I could think of some churches that kid was probably raised in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He had some sort of uh, celestial guilt wing in there for some, sure. There's some fundamentalism in that kid's background. Like, I'm sure. Hey, not only am I, not only do I feel guilty about getting drunk, I'm calling the cops on myself. <laughs> I'm doing it. Well, Ian, I'm heading up. I'm heading out the door to Hamilton, man. I look forward to telling you about it tomorrow. I'm super excited. Can't wait to hear about it, man. I'm excited. Well, you've been listening to the common good. On AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, my name is Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. Have a great Tuesday, Chicagoland.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.